Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Lovelace. And I'm Danielle. Hey, this is an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics, and every week we interact with our awesome listeners. And now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. No, Nathaniel Green's going to tell you all about it. <laughs> so, it's a book club with occasional books and lots of comics, but mostly friendship. <laughs> That is true. We're going to read the comics, and then we tell you to read the comics, and then you think about it, and then you write to us, and we read it, and then we do it again, and uh, it's friendship. Please come back for more. Awesome. Yes. Oh, that was great. Good job there. Thank you. Nathaniel Green Book Club oh. member. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Nathaniel Green. It was so great. We recorded that clip. That's from uh, our debriefing episode. While we had Nathaniel on the line, I had to get a sound clip of him doing that. Yeah, so, thank you, Nathaniel. That was a lot of fun. Nathaniel Green, book club member. Oh, yeah. Book club member. We will have some more, because I got some sound clips from all the damn guys that were on the episode. We can look forward to those over the next couple episodes, but also keep sending us those intros. If we get one in the in the email, I'm going to push that one to the front of the line. All right, and now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. <laughs> I was cleaning up the old listener feedback mailbag this week. Okay. And uh, so we had some feedback from our Krampusnot episode from Holiday Times. Mark Tweedell said... Mark Tweedell. Book club member. Yeah, he said, I don't know where the story comes from, but this is the one that I was told about Krampus. Once there was this guy named St. Nicholas, you know, the one who goes around giving children presents. Anyhow, he hears about this demon that sneaks into houses through chimneys and stuffs sleeping children in his sack. Then he takes them to the river, and he throws the sack in, drowning the child. In the child's bed, he leaves a single lump of coal. Obviously, St. Nicholas isn't too happy about this, and decides to track down this Krampus to perform an exorcism. And he does find Krampus, but during the exorcism, he learns why Krampus is doing what he does. As a demon, Krampus can never go to heaven. And so Krampus took his anger at God out on the children. So St. Nicholas cut Krampus a deal. He tells Krampus that he'll talk to God and convince him to make a place for Krampus in heaven, but only on one condition, that Krampus continues St. Nicholas's work. After all, St. Nick is a mortal man, and someday he'll die. So Krampus agreed, and when St. Nicholas died, Krampus became Santa Claus. Each Christmas, he filled his sack with presents, snuck into people's homes through their chimneys, and left gifts for good children. But there was still a bit of Krampus in Santa Claus, so he'd leave a lump of coal for bad children. A warning that if they didn't behave, next time he'd drown them in the river. I like the idea of Santa Claus being a reformed demon. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that that's where that little part of the with the coal that's where it comes from anyway that's mark's own uh drowning mark's, people in rivers yeah mark's own retelling of the santa claus so yeah i like that let's that sounds like that would be something for a hellboy winter special mm. you know in the future palau pock said palau pock book club member book club member i would love to see krampus again maybe he's in hell he may have found the way after the fall of pandemonium you yeah, like to think about that maybe he's down there right 
Mm. Ryan Yule said. Ryan Yule. Book club member. We talked about the Lambton Worm. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, that was another one that we talked about. That was in that issue of Playboy. And Ryan Yule said back in the mid-2008 when that Playboy issue, Return of the Lambton Worm, came out, I tracked down an extra copy at the request of Case Lajerwine nice. to send him in the Netherlands because he couldn't find it there. Aww. I remember he was very excited when it arrived. Aww, Aww, that's great. Case. I like hearing that. Awesome. That's nice. Christopher Egan said... Christopher Egan. Book club member. Book club member. Seriously, honey, I only read it for the articles and Hellboy short stories. That's right. That's right. Oh, man, that's great. I also want to thank Jordan Silva. Jordan Silva. Book club member. Yeah. Yeah, he shared... He has one of the Adam Hughes pages from that Krampus shot issue oh nice and he posted that on our social media so um, hopefully you saw that you can still go back and check out that post regarding our debriefing episode we heard from ross radke hey ross radke book club member yeah he said i haven't made it to the halfway mark yet and i can already say this turned out amazing a relay marathon of book club members each with their own unique relationship and perspective with one of the greatest comics of the modern age. It's interesting how well the different conversations balance each other. I was worried it might be repetitive, but not at all. It feels very organic. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you're uh, having fun hanging out, talking to your friends there about, you go. about comic books. Actually talking yeah. to your friends. Actually talking to your friends. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to your friends. Paul from Gardaharn, remember he mentioned the... Indalo man. Yeah, book club uh, member. Yeah, book club member. And Drew book Campbell said. <laughs> Drew Campbell. <laughs> book club member. <laughs> so many. So many. So many book club members. From the Wikipedia page, some people who believe that the story behind the symbol of the Indalo man is about a man who escapes in a cave to get away from the rain. Then when the rain stops, out comes a rainbow. And when the man walks away from the wall of the cave, the image is left there. Maybe the BPRD used that symbol to symbolize hope that going underground would only be temporary and mankind would one day be able to return to the surface. Yeah, I like that. Good yeah. job there. We had some feedback on Hellboy and the BPRD Saturn Returns, our story from last week. We got a hey guys from Adam on Twitter. We got a we got a hey guys from Adam on Twitter. Book club member. He's a book club member. On Twitter. Yeah. He's a book club member on Twitter and he's he's not saying any cusses. <laughs> That's okay. We're all right with that. So I wanted to talk about Saturn Returns. I think it's titled the way that it is because of the part of the story of Saturn Kronos in the Greek mythology where he regurgitates his children. The story spends a lot of its focus on the effect the discovery of the bodies has on the people that survive its victims. The bodies have all been lost in this void for so long, and their loved ones have had to just get on with their lives without knowing what happened. Suddenly, they're all metaphorically barfed back into the world, and all the stories people have told themselves have to contend with the reality of it. Not to get too into the weeds, but the figures of Saturn and Kronos were conflated at a later date. The consumption of his children is definitely a Kronos thing, and the figure of Saturn arrived in Rome as a fugitive, perhaps running from the crimes he committed against his children. Saturn is, is described in Roman mythology as a god of time and abundance, and very much a positive figure. So what does his return represent? I think Saturn is the monster. Just a devouring father who has come back across the abyss of time, a changed being, disgorging those he has eaten so the world might remember them. Saturn's return is also when um, uh, it takes about 29 and a half years. It's like almost 30 years 
for it to come back to where it was okay. when you were born. Oh, wow. So I thought Saturn's it was 33 return. years. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It's something like that. It's somewhere around there. Nice. That's the thing. So then also it's like, oh, you're you're hitting your late 20s, early 30s. That's a whole thing where you're, you know. Right. You know. Right. Where you be, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. Like, you're like, um, now what is well, going on in my life? Right, it's right. a big thing. You're not a teenager anymore well, but you're not you're not old yet so what's going on with you so huh. that's the thing i don't okay. know i don't know saturn ascends comes back again yeah 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 exactly <laughs> yeah so thank you adam he's at i break stuff on twitter thank you yeah hayden or said hayden or book club member yeah that's right he said great episode glad to have you damn guys back and city of the dead send back goodness i have a bit to say about that series but i'll save it for next week one thing I did want to mention about Saturn Returns, though, in the panel of the Dead Cavemen, we see the Hyperborean Sword. And I might be wrong on this, but I, he was thinking it might be Galdinar. Did we, I thought we talked about that. Didn't we talk about that last week? I uh, thought we did. Yeah. Yeah, because we I, I was thinking, like, it's either Galdinar or we know that the sword was passed down from his father, so maybe it's, like, his grandfather or maybe it's the person who has it after he dies or, like, we don't really know. Um, yeah, I thought we did talk about that, um, but Hayden said he went back to Abyss of Time and it doesn't have a time or a place marker, so we have no way of knowing like where it lie, where that one scene lies amongst like the whole kind of like prehistoric timeline. Ryan Yule said, "Ryan Yule, book club member." Yeah, he said, "I don't know if it's connected at all, but the vampire Baron Koenig was depicted transforming into a white owl." Remember, nice. we were wondering if we had seen those, like, barn owls before? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Did. But he died, so I don't know that that, that would still also, be him. there weren't any vampires. Yeah, there weren't any vampires either, so. Mark Tweedell said. Mark Tweedell. He's a book club member. Hellboy mentions Dr. Farrier. Uh, we saw Dr. Farrier in Black Sun. He was the doctor that was with Hellboy on that mission. So we have met that Dr. Farrier before. And he says, this story marks the first time Elizabeth ran away from the Bureau. After she becomes an agent, she quits 13 times between 1980 and 1997. She has some tumultuous years ahead. Maybe it's just me, but I kind of feel like the story was laying the groundwork for a Liz Sherman spinoff. Or maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part. What I love about Saturn Returns is that the mystery is ultimately unresolved, but the reader is in privileged position to be able to solve it. With our access to the entire Hellboy universe, we have enough clues to piece it all together. Uh, I've always wanted a Liz solo series. Even yeah. if it was like a five-issue miniseries, that'd be great to see something like that. I really liked when they showed Liz going to be a monk and all oh, that yeah. shit. Oh, yeah. That was see fucking that rad. Yeah, let's go see the Agartha stuff. That's fucking rad. That would be amazing. Yeah, man. And or even Or even the stuff like after King of Fear and then where she ended up in that trailer park. That's yeah. right. Yeah. We don't know what happened we there. We don't know. We have a new section of the podcast. It's the weird dream section. Weird dreams. You want to hear some weird dream section? Weird dreams. Weird Hellboy dreams. Hellboy Book Club podcast. Send us your weird dreams. If you ever have weird dreams about Hellboy and stuff like that, I would we'll love to hear that. We'll talk about weird dreams. Great section of the show. Sounds good. We heard from TechPot. TechPot. Book Club member. Yeah. Book Club member. I had this weird dream that I and a group of my friends had to take care of this little girl. And we kept aging as normal, but she stayed the same. Then in our senior years... We realized she was an evil demon and that we had to stop her. Okay. And when I woke up, I realized that it was Vivara. Oh. Yeah. Damn. 
That's a cool dream. Uh, yeah. 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 And then at the in the end of, they're all dreaming about Vavara, right? Yeah. What does that mean? That's scary. Keep, you know Uh-oh. what? Just, just to keep our finger on the pulse, let other let us know if you're dreaming of Vavara. We, we would like know. to know. That. I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> I would rather not see it coming. Barbara. Barbara. He also mentioned that the Hellboy animateds are on HBO Max. And I bring that up because oh, okay. um, there's like a little five minute one that they've added that I've never seen before. Oh, rad. It's called oh, the, yeah. the Deaths Below. I thought it was pretty good. I thought the animation wasn't up to snuff of the of the actual animated movies. I think maybe that was like a, like a test reel or like, right. hey, this is what we could do with a Hellboy, Hellboy animated. It didn't even have like their voices yet. So I think it was maybe like, I don't know. I just think it's maybe it was maybe more of like a. Well, you said. I mean, yeah, they do they do little tests, yeah, and stuff like that, test animations and whatever. It was cool. Wait. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, it's called the Dark Below. I thought it was actually pretty cool because it felt like a uh, earlier Hellboy short stories. You know, right. it's like a two pager or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it was exactly like um, kind of like the Iron Shoes little short cartoon. All right, and now we're gonna go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Witchfinder. Witchfinder City of the Dead is a five-issue miniseries. We're reading issues one and two today, which were published in August and September 2016. Written by Mignola and Chris Robertson. Art by Ben Stenbeck. Colors by Michelle Madsen. We saw Michelle Madsen's color work on Crimson Lotus and some Weird Tales stuff. Awesome. And lettered by Clem Robbins. We also have some pretty outstanding covers by Julian Tatino Tedesco. We saw his work on BPRD Hell on Earth Modern Prometheus. Julian. Hell yeah. So let's talk about these covers a little bit. So we got the trade paperback cover, which is amazing. It, it's also a little bit... Um, this is a painting. Yeah, yeah. So I love this. I love the, the color, you know, shift between... You got the kind of vampires in the back with kind of like that blue-red palette. And then Ed Gray all looking dressed all up. Awesome. This guy's all dressed up. Where's yeah. he going? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty awesome cover. Where are you going, Dracula? We also have the issue one cover. And uh, this is truly amazing. The this work, is a painting for sure. The the work that Tedesco has done on these like pillars and stuff like that, the skeletons and everything. The what? The skeletons, the skeletons. are so amazing. You got some Nosferatu's back here. Hell yeah! Ed Gray looks like a badass. He sure does. I, like I mean, the... he doesn't look like as much of a badass as he ends up being. But, right. I mean, still. Well. I like the Christian Bale casting for Edgar. Oh, that'd Whoever's be good. Like Christian Bale is like, yeah, that'd be yeah, good. that's still a good one. I would be shocked if that casting didn't come from the Prestige. He needs more facial hair though in that movie. He had that man. There was beards and mustaches all through <laughs> that movie. If you like a movie with fake beards and mustaches, that's a movie well, for you. I just started. I just took it because of the. Um, if you see Christian Bale in interviews, he's you know. That's, he kind of has that. He's got the mustache and beard goatee thing oh, going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, you're okay. right. Yeah. Nice. Right we open the story in August 1882. These guys are working on a rail line. They say it's set to open soon, so this might be Tinnemouth Station or West Wickham Station, which both opened that year. This one guy, Hawkins, tells old Mr. Campbell that in their construction... 
A tunnel collapsed, leading to this strange staircase into a cavern. And Campbell's like, I've heard of these discoveries. Chambers, dating back to Elizabeth's time. Medieval warrens. Saxon fire pits. The homes of the dead, living under the feet of the living. Well, I don't know not about that. <laughs> but whoever built it, it's been a good long while. Uh, I was really hoping you, would, you were going to try that accent. Hawkins says what they found at the end of the tunnel... It doesn't look like a home that they've seen before. More like a church. Bloody hell, Campbell says. <laughs> and we reveal this amazing uh, cavern, right? Um, yeah. There are all these like intricately carved pillars. And there's like shit. a snake motif. Ugh. You see that? There's kind of like some snake motifs, which makes me think of Hecate. Makes me mm-hmm. think of, you know... Um, I mean, snakes are cool, but like underground surprise chamber. Yeah. It's, you know... I don't know about that. If I saw, like, if we stumbled onto this, we'd be like, no, we're, le- <laughs> we're leaving now. This is just bad. Have a good one. See you later. Sorry about that. Campbell starts. Oh, oh not me. I'd, I'd keep going. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Campbell, he starts rubbing off the sand, and it looks like that kind of frog language stuff on the pillars. I actually was, I started thinking about Memnon Saw. And I went to when they go to his hideout, but it looks completely different. The pillars are completely different. They have different carvings on them. So, But if you try to read it, you'll go mad Yeah, because <laughs> of the eldritch horrors, John. <clears throat> you can't even comprehend it. It's so weird. You'll go mad just, just looking at it because you can't even comprehend it. Okay. Because <laughs> it's not even Euclidean geometry, John. Mm, it's that non-Euclidean shit mm-hmm, that fucks mm-hmm. me up. The other two guys that stayed back, they're gone now, but their lamp is found smashed. They would have passed them if they had come back up. Man. So that's not good, right? I mean, get out of there. So where nope. did where the devil did they go? So that would be you, Aubrey. We'd be like, where's be like, Aubrey? Where's Aubrey? His lantern's show. all smashed. <laughs> There's this weird eldritch abomination chambers. I guess, I guess we'll never know. It's a mystery. Yeah, I'd have my phone on me. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to go, though. Yeah. Yeah. We cut to Ed Gray. I like all the little the little pictures on the wall, little bookcases, all the little details. Yeah, he's in his study. Bookcases. And working shit. on his yeah. journal. There's like a spear in the corner. Some halberds. Yeah. This is rad. He writes about a suspected kidnapping by fairies, quote unquote, that turned out to be an old perv kidnapping a kid. Jeez. The public wasn't ready for it, so they blamed it on Fenians. The word Fenians served as an umbrella term for the Fenian Brotherhood and the Irish Republic Brotherhood, secret political organizations dedicated to the establishment of an independent Irish Republic in the 19th and early 20th centuries. And you can kind of see on the headline there, it says, Witchfinder Recovers Missing Child from Irish Radicals. Um, But I do want to talk about his desk here. You know, he's, he's having a couple cups of tea there. He's had a couple of them. <laughs> and we yep. see a little cow. Uh-huh. Do you remember the little cow? Vaguely. In the very first Witchfinder story, In the Service of Angels, he teams up with this guy called the Captain. And the Captain explains to him that he's over 200 years old. And he, Oh, right. And he knew Jonathan Swift, who wrote Gulliver's Travels, and Jonathan Swift actually stole the ideas from his adventures... And he was like, and I can even prove it to you. Back in my back in my study, I have a cow this big. And then at the end of the story, when they kill the captain, 
they find him dead and in his hand he's got the little cow and so mr bacon who's one of the sidekicks of the captain he gives it to ed gray and he goes the captain would have wanted you to have it so i like that he still has it he still has it there you know remembering the captain and all his friends from that mission on the uh, table by the books with the teacups on it, it looks like there's like a like a medallion with a star on it, and I feel like we've seen something like that before. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good catch there. I'm wondering about this pen. Is this an anachronism? It looks like he's just using like a clicky pen, like a ballpoint pen. It looks like a like a like a fountain pen, the kind that you pour the ink into and you have the little lever on it. I mean, did you they s- have did they have the little po- thing that goes in your pocket? Because he doesn't. Even no, have that's a the lever pen. for the. That's the lever for. The oh, game. okay. Oh, okay. I didn't even. That's just what it looks like. It looks like it's a. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? It's got the little handle yeah. on the side to go in your pocket or whatever. It does. Yeah, kind no, of look my like bad. That. Yeah, I'm actually holding a pen like that right now. Yeah, my, <laughs> my bad. My bad. I was like, this yeah. is this is an anachronism. This is not. This is not on. Where's your pocket protector, Ed Gray? Yeah. <laughs> well, because I thought they mostly in, back in the 1800s. I mean, I guess it's well, 1880. I don't really know when that type of pen was invented, but this would still be like with nibs and like inkwells, yeah. right? Yeah. See, I was gonna say like, I, I to me it looks like those kind of pens that have the well in it and they have a little lever on it and oh, all that kind of okay. thing. I but I don't know when those were invented, so maybe it is still an activist either. Because I wonder, like, I thought they were still. Let's see. Hmm. All right. Anybody oh, know nope, anything I'm about wrong. pens? I'm wrong. I'm Let wrong. It says the big thing in the 1800s was the fountain pen, which used a steel point and an ink. Well, the late 1800s, 1880, that's where we are, 1882, I think, brought uh, a fountain pen with its own self-contained ink, which meant not having to dip the pen in an ink well. So you're right, Aubrey. Wow. Cool. We're learning stuff. That's neat. I, I, I just remember those pens because they, I remember movies, watching movies in the 80s, probably made earlier, where they'd all of a sudden pull the lever and somebody would have ink all over them. And uh, like, okay, <laughs> okay. Oh, see, yeah. That's interesting. That's super neat. Cool. There's also a bit of trivia here on the paper. Science! You on... see this other headline that says science? Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. did notice that. It says <laughs> science. It's yeah. got three exclamation points. Yes, science! Yeah, I wonder what that is. Um, science (laughs) Science. that's right (laughs) so i wanted to talk about this one headline here where it says king of zululand visits london on august 14th 1882 the king of zululand visited queen victoria of britain okay prior to his visit to britain he was exiled to the cape after losing the crucial battle of alundi during the anglo-zulu war against sir freire and his men the king undertook the trip to request that he should be restored as the king of the Zulu kingdom. Okay. So that was something that actually happened during that year. I just had to look it up, but there was a movie based on that whole... Uh, oh, wow. It's called Zulu, uh, when it stars Michael Caine. Oh, nice. nice. Okay. We love him, Michael yeah. Caine. Hey, it's a bell. Yeah, so Gray's there. He talks about this troubling dream he keeps having. Uh, he can't recall the details. What was it again? Remember, and he see we see Muthlomi's bell, right? So let's talk about this a little bit. What is the connection with Ed Gray and Muthlomi? Can you think of one? This is like when the teacher asks you a question in the middle of class. She's like, "Oh no, don't don't call on me." They're they're both in created by Mike Mignola. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) so remember when Ed Gray is looking for Rasputin in hell, and he goes into the whale. 
and he's trapped there with all the other people that are trying to stop Rasputin. Uh, yes. And then he yes. and then he touches him. At, yeah. They use all their powers. Yes. And he grabs Mothlomi's staff. I do remember that. And Mothlomi fucking dies. They all die. Yeah. But it it's enough power for Ed Gray. So do the thing. And so it that's what it made me think of. Right. Like, right. This is like pointing to like some fucking crazy endgame shit that's gonna happen to him. Like nice. that stuff is already his future path is already being right, right, right. His weird destiny thing. So was this published after? Yeah, I think that? so. Yeah. I mean, that's cool because you can take that like you know hindsight kind of a thing. Like, oh, we know how it ends, and I can take this interesting element. Did yes. he ever meet? Did he ever meet Muslim? No. Okay, well, let me make something right. there and do something with that. Like, I want to say it was tie that, that in. There might have been a scene with them both in the elsewhere, but I don't remember. I don't I don't think so. I, I think just, it's maybe just. I think. I think it's referring. It's cool to though. Like w it's, it's interesting that you know yeah. they're taking that and they're tying it in there, and it's neat. All this is interrupted by Bailey, the butler. A message has arrived for you, and the courier insisted it was most urgent. And Ed Gray's like, "Let's take a look." Terribly informative, isn't it? It just says, <laughs> "Gray, you are needed." Silk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Inform the cook that she needn't worry about preparing lunch, Bailey. If experience is any indicator, I rather suspect that either my schedule or my appetite is about to be spoiled. Or quite possibly both, he says as he walks off. He looks rather annoyed about that, too. And uh, <laughs> we haven't talked about Stenbeck's work too much. You know, we rave about him all the time on our debriefing episode. You know, I think it was Drew Campbell that described him as very clean. You know, I like that description for Ben Stenbeck. And his work so far has been amazing. I love this panel as Ed Gray is putting on his jacket. I think that is so great. I just love the motion in there. Yeah. And I was just like, that was something that really stood out to me on this page. Okay, so uh, do you when you put your jacket on, do you put it on one arm and then the other arm? Or do you like to swing the jacket around and put both arms in at once? Uh, one arm at a time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, me too. I like to swing the jacket around and put both of my arms in at once. Okay. I don't nice. know why. I like I'm going to have that. to work on that. I I like it better. I feel like uh, it's it's less annoying to put it on that way. For okay. me. Maybe not for other people around me. Okay. But for me. While while we're talking about the art, I just want to, you know, point point out that the colorist Michelle Manson is doing a fucking outstanding job. This is, is this a great a, page, yeah. Yeah. Is this the first time we've seen her colors in um in the Manilaverse? I, I believe she did Crimson Lotus. Oh, okay, okay. And she did some of the Weird Tales stuff. It's got a great okay. watercolory yeah. look. I mean, it, 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 it's killing it. She's killing it. It I mean, would otherwise is... be boring without those effects, yeah. I think, too. Like, not yeah. that it's uh, not good art, but I mean, like, you know, it adds a little something, a little, little bit of depth. And also, yeah. like, she manages to make this look sepia without it being sepia. Like, there's obviously cool and warm tones. Like, there's, right. there's varying tones, yeah. but it's still kind of... I don't know. It's good stuff. Yeah. As Bailey walks off, he says, King of Zululand, what's next? Queen of the Fairies? Oh, Bailey. <laughs> I want to hear from other book club members. How do you put your jacket on? Okay. One arm and then the other arm, or are you swinging around and put both arms? Let's let's find out. And, sh us... and shrug it upwards <clears throat> onto your shoulders. I like to shrug the jacket up. We cut over to St. John of the Cross Police Hospital. I don't know if I mentioned this when we did In the Service of Angels. The Order of St. John, also known as St. John International, is a British royal order of chivalry constituted in 1888 by royal charter from Queen Victoria. 
This is the same hospital that we saw Mr. Silk at in Witchfinder in the Service of Angels. And just like in that story, he eats a little cake in front of a dead body. Okay. Why is he always eating like a little dessert? Do you remember? You notice I mean, that whenever we see him? <laughs> I mean, that's not sanitary. I mean, you can eat cake. You can eat as much of this little cake as you want. That's cute and nice, but. That man's just going to eat his cake wherever the hell he wants. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's cute. It would be a lot m- more cute if it wasn't like this dead body right yeah. here. But whenever we see Mr. Silk, I can't help but imagine him as like a Venture Brothers character. Yes, he looks like a Venture Brothers. And, and he's always eating the little desserts and stuff like that. Anyway, yes. I don't know. There's something very cartoony about him. I like his character. I like that Ed Gray has his own cast of characters that yeah, kind of absolutely. Yeah. are hanging out throughout the books. Gray goes over to inspect the body. And we also see Dr. Lewis and Dr. Manley. They were also in In the Service of Angels. The dead man was a grave robber, and they found him and arrested him with all this loot in his pockets. He kept asking for medical attention for the wound on his hand. He said one of the exhumed corpses had bitten him. The man died before Dr. Lewis arrived. Gray says the man could have bitten himself. I mean... Enough to take off flesh down to the bone? <laughs> no? Some people will do anything to get out of getting arrested. <laughs> Lewis says, Of course, the first thing we did was measure the bite's circumference against the man's own indentation. And then Manly is like, Was my suggestion, to be fair. <laughs> I want to get credit for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. I love these two doctors. They're so... Uh, they're funny in these, in it's these good issues. stuff. And Gray's like... I fail to see what any of this has to do with me, no hoodoo of any sort. And all of a sudden, right when he says that, obviously, right, the corpse stands yeah. up. What in blazes so manly and Lewis are freaked out by this. And again, the horror work by Stenbeck is incredible. You know, I was thinking about this, you know, we've talked about it before. I do, I, I don't like gore, but I like gore in these books. I like Guy Davis doing the gore. I like, uh, you know, James Heron doing it, and Ben yeah. Stenbeck is awesome here. I don't like it. I will turn <laughs> the page. Truly yeah, creepy it, work. Yeah, it's really good. It's gross. Too gross for me. And, uh, These guys are freaking out. And Mr. Silk is just back there with his cake. What's the meaning of this gentleman? Is he dead or isn't he? <laughs> I'm trying to eat my cake here, damn it. so fucking mad at them. And this thing is about to bite Lewis. And so Ed Gray just comes over with the fucking saw, and he chops off the top of his head. That's quite enough of that, he says. Nice. That's an impressive fucking cut, too. Yeah. <laughs> right for it, too. Like, there's none of this, oh, what do we do? And Lewis is just like, oh, my God. And he's like, for pity's sake, Lewis, pull yourself together. Now, where exactly did this grave robber say he was attacked? I love it. Like, after he chops the dude's half, half the top the top of his head off, and you see the head thunk to the ground, and you just see Ed Gray, he just drops that fucking saw right on the thing. He's all like, <laughs> like bam. Stop freaking out. We're that weird. is a baller move. It's He's a... like, stop he freaking out. We're it. Victorian British people. <laughs> The way it says clatter I is love very he, funny. I, I love, love that it. he did that, but I, lo- I also love that he went right for the head. There's none of this, what do we do? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. like, yeah. we have to figure it out, and now we figured it out, but there's people still doing it wrong. And even though we already figured it out later, no, don't you remember? You have to do this. And yeah. It's like, we, we know. You don't have to go through any of that. Everybody knows that already. It's well, interesting. And I like that, you know, 
on the previous page, he was like, what does this have to do with me? And then by the end of this, he's like, okay, so All right. where where was he attacked? Like, he's immediately ready to go to work. He's not scared. He's not like, what the fuck? He's just like, okay, let's yeah. let's do this. <laughs> it would be so like so annoying as a as a reader to have to go through that every right. fucking yeah. time. We we go to Lamb Street Cemetery. I couldn't find a clear reference to this. There are some cemeteries that have lamb in them, but I couldn't find Lamb Street. That's a uh, really crowded cemetery. <laughs> oh yeah, that's uh, you know Mignola loves those crowded cemeteries, and Stenbeck does a great job of kind of recreating that. I love whenever we see, like, he puts little details in there, like this skull on here. We see a couple things like that. Yeah. I think this is interesting because Ed Gray talks about, you know, most people are scared of cemeteries, but, you know, actually seeing the dark arts and stuff like that, I have earned the disquiet I feel whenever I trespass among the dead. I like that. And he goes to the grave diggers or whatever. They're the caretakers of the cemetery. And he interrogates them about these uh, grave robbings. We see a grave there that says Jacob Cohen, 1786 to 1829. I couldn't find a reference to that either. I couldn't find a reference to any of these names, although it does say Siegel. And that kind of makes me think of the creators of Superman, right? Isn't one of them Siegel? Jerry Siegel. There you go. So Ed Gray asks them about the thefts, but they claim they don't know anything about it. They play dumb. Gray presses them, but they say nothing like that has happened there. In a Christian boneyard, the dead are effectively buried in rented plots, with new caskets interred in the same spot every ten years. This is a Jewish cemetery, and always has been. Judaic law says the dead have to be buried within 24 hours, only one body to a grave. So, uh, I was curious about this coffin stacking. That's exactly what it's called. This is the practice of stacking coffins on top of each other in burial grounds. This was once a popular practice in the UK, especially because burial space was quite limited and grave diggers did not have the same tools for burial that they do now. It was much more difficult to quickly bury a coffin and grave diggers took the practice of digging one deep plot and stacking coffins in it rather than digging multiple shallow plots. Also, public cemeteries, especially those in poor areas, would quickly become overcrowded during times of plague and burial space would run low. To remedy this issue of low space, gravediggers would stack coffins on top of each other in a single grave. Coffin stacking went out of practice in the 20th century with the opening of new burial grounds and the introduction of power tools that made burial easier. I want to be buried in one of those mushroom suits. Okay, what's up? No, talk, talk about those that. Fucking rad. So it's like a little, like a, I don't know what the cloth is made out of. I guess it's linen or something. Okay, but it's like this. It's it just looks like a like a regular old just like pajamas, but then they put like I guess all these mushroom spores on it, and then they put you outside, and then mushrooms, and then that's what happens to your body and then animals i guess and okay it's like nature your body is nature now yeah but are there like bone what happened to your to what happens to your bones i don't know whatever happens to bones <laughs> mushrooms uh, grow on them mushrooms grow on them and whatever yeah gets eaten by mushrooms you know cuz i was thinking like i've never seen this this is this is not my original idea but i forget where i saw it there are these pods they're tree pods. Tree pods, yeah. They, they put you yeah. in like an egg. They put you in an egg, and then tree uh, egg. and then a, a tree grows yeah, and all that, it's right? Good stuff. But then somebody had said, if the tree gets knocked over, 
all the roots oh, are going like to come. Skeleton, there's going to yeah. be a skeleton like hanging in, <laughs> all trapped in the roots. You know what I mean? Of awesome. The tree. <laughs> that would be awesome. I, I want to be cremated and shot off into space. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Use me for scientific testing. Scientific testing. Okay. Medical testing. Cool. There Sounds you go. Good. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't really care what yeah. happens. I mean, donate you for medical tests. It's indecent how some of those others treat their dead, but here we treat them with respect. The caretaker says, and Gray's like, "Well, I'm not questioning you about that, but you insist you know nothing about the grave robberies." And they were like, "No, we don't know anything. I think we'd know if any of the graves had been disturbed." Yes, I'm certain that you would. At that, Gray says, "I love that panel down there." <laughs> so he knows they're lying. He's like, "I yes, you would know, and you're lying. So I now I know you're lying." And as he walks away, he thinks to himself, obviously that they're lying, but what are they gaining from that? Why are they doing it? I do want to talk about, before we go on to this next scene, we see some little stuff in the background. It says M. Dryer Print Setters. M. Dryer and Co. Print Setters. Awesome. I couldn't find a reference to M. Dryer and Co., but Print Setters is like early printmaking. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you'd be working. Yeah. Probably in the 1800s. Hopefully. And then it says, Pi and Son. Pi Limited was an electronics company founded in 1896 in Cambridge, England as a manufacturer of scientific instruments. I thought it was interesting because it says, William Pi, superintendent of the Cavendish Laboratory Workshop. So the real Pi worked for some place called Cavendish. We know that Cavendish is a Hellboy reference to Cavendish Hall. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. So we see... Those two references in the background. And as Gray is walking, a horse carriage pulls up alongside Ed and a voice calls out to him. Holy shit, it's Liam Neeson, a.k.a. August Swain. Hell yeah. (laughs) We last saw Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson and Christian Bale. There you go. Together again. again, Together again. We last saw Liam Neeson play this character in the previously mentioned Witchfinder in the Service of Angels. And Ed Gray is pretty pissed to see him after all the deaths he caused to his friends in that story. And we kind of see that, right? We see Mary Wolf. Remember, she was the woman that turned into Zora. She was killed because of the Heliopic Brotherhood, and then so was the captain. And so in the captain's hand right there, you can't see, but he's holding the little cow. Oh, yeah. I love this panel of the Heliopic Brotherhood. I know they're the bad guys, but I like whenever they show them in all their little, their getup. Their cosplay. There you go. Gray tells Swain that his band of occult fanatics, the Heliopic Brotherhood, should die for what they've done. He tells Swain he should kill him with his bare hands. Now, now, Edward, calm yourself, Swain says. He hasn't come to fight. And as an agent to the crown, Gray shouldn't make a scene. Swain wants Gray's help, and he pleads that they're not lunatics but men of science. And we get a nice flashback by Ben Stenbeck of the Heliopic Brotherhood trying to capture one of those proto-men monsters with those electric harpoons. This scene is also from Witchfinder in the Service of Angels. Swain tells Gray that if he comes with him in his carriage, he can explain everything. You must be joking, Gray responds. Ed Gray says the only thing Swain is correct about is that he shouldn't make a scene in public. But the sun sets every day. The public is not always watching. You would-be sorcerers will be held to account. You have my word. Justice will come for you in the end. And when it does, I shall be on hand to assist. And then Ed Gray slams the door. I love that. That was so cool. Nice. And Bailey's out there with the gun. (laughs) Bailey's like on the inside of the door with the gun. He's uh, He's all ready to blast that guy. Right. 
And Ed Gray's like, now, Bailey, put that thing away before you do yourself an injury. Later that night, Gray has some plans. He didn't believe the caretakers at the cemetery, so he's decided to go back and check out those graves. And he's brought Lewis and Manley along to help. Gray has a warrant, but doesn't want to alert anyone just yet. And Lewis and Manley aren't too happy. A dead body just got up and attacked them, and now they're around a lot of dead bodies. What we witnessed this morning was doubtless some manner of supernatural phenomenon, Grace says. A corpse reanimated by a Hogan, or necromancer perhaps. And in case we run into more of that practitioner's handiwork, I do not come unprepared. And so in his jacket he's got his gun, and then we see all these like little talismans and stuff like that. There's like a little bone. It kind of reminded me of Tom Farrell's Lucky Bone from The Crooked Man. Yeah, there's all these little talismans. I was wondering what the ring with the T is. What does T stand for? I don't know. Anyway. Mr. T. Mr. T, yeah. Um, <laughs> Summon the power of Mr. T. He mentioned... Uh, he pities the fool that gets in his way. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he mentioned a Haugen... This is a term for a male priest in Haitian voodoo. Haitian voodoo is an African diasporic religion, which blends traditional Vodun and kingdom of Dahomey with Roman Catholicism. And Gray also mentions his Webley Price. Webley and Scott produced a range of revolvers in the mid-19th to late 20th centuries. As early as 1853, P. Webley and J. Webley began production of their first patented single-action cap and ball revolvers. So all this fits into the historical fiction. Gray also says that the caretakers said there had been no robberies, but they were filling in graves with an old tombstone when he talked to them. And so they find the spot with the newly filled in graves. And Lewis is like, you want us to examine a body? I might have implied it, yes, but what I needed more at the moment is a couple of strong backs to help with the digging. So get to work, won't you? There's a good man. And he hands them. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I love this. He, he hands them a plank of wood. <laughs> yeah. he, he brings these two guys out there to dig with a plank of wood. <laughs> uh, so they're digging up the bodies. And there's a great reveal here as Ed Gray opens this first one. You know, he's like, impossible. There's no sign of decay, no decomposition. Lewis and Manley say theirs are like that too. So one of them's like, maybe the caskets are really well made and they're airtight and the body's like mummified or something. And Manley's like, well, even then they'd be like dried out or something. Maybe the body fluids are trapped within the flesh, tanned to leather. And Gray's like, I know you'd both prefer that these were somehow naturally occurring phenomena. It seems, however, that some form of necromancy surely was involved. And, and then they hear a sound. Oh no, the dead are reanimated. They're coming out of the ground. <laughs> I love this line here as they're running away from the zombies. Yes, I believe that we can cross naturally occurring off the list of possibilities, Ed Gray says as he draws his revolver. And we go to chapter two. Let's talk about this cover by Tedesco. This is so awesome. I love this. So, yeah, this cover is um, amazing. So that's Larzad, right? That's Larzad in the background. And we pick up right on this action beat. Ed Gray, he blasts at the zombies, but they just keep coming. He's like, perhaps one of my charms are talismans. These two, uh, Manly and Lewis, they like can't fight these zombies at all. So Ed Gray keeps having <laughs> to like save them every single time. I love this. He like, he holds the talisman in front of it. It doesn't do anything. And then it starts getting on top of Lewis. And so the zombie is holding Lewis up in the air by his neck. And then Ed Gray comes from behind 
and st- runs the zombie through with his plank of wood. That is so awesome. Oh, man, that was pretty kick-ass. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, these are like vampires, uh, because he just stabbed him with a stake, and he crumbled to dust. Right. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Vampire zombies. Oh. Lewis is all freaked out, and Ed Gray's like, ah, oh, get a hold of yourself, for God's sake. And then he turns <laughs> he turns over, and one's attacking Manly. He's like, impale the creature, do it now. And Manly's like, I'm trying. Like, he's barely doing anything and, like, barely going in there. Meanwhile, in the background, Ed Gray's all, back to the pit from whence you came. And he fucking kills this, this one lady. This is a very Simon Pegg-like expression <laughs> on this yeah. guy's face when he says that he's trying to kill this <laughs> this zombie vampire or whatever. It's very Simon Pegg. But after Ed Gray kills this one, he turns around. He looks at Manly, totally getting taken over by this vampire zombie. And he's like, oh, for pity's sake. Uh, yeah. He's rolling his eyes, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love these two, Lewis and Manly. They're so bumbly, and I really enjoy them having to be saved by Ed Gray. I also love how Ed Gray is like, during the whole time, he's like, guys, <laughs> just because we're being attacked by undead vampire zombies, there's no reason to panic. <laughs> he's like, don't just lay there gawking Manly. The creature's dispatched. You're safe now. I'm going home. As for you two, Lewis looks like he might require some medical attention. See to that, would you? Oh, and collect a sample of those bones and dust while you're at it. Might prove useful. (laughs) That is just hilarious. Back at his apartment, Ed Gray continues journaling. He writes about the dead bodies rising from their graves and how he thought a dark practitioner was behind it, but the undead themselves were supernatural. Perhaps some species of renovant or ghoul or even vampire. For centuries, English folklore has been filled with stories of the unquiet dead rising from their graves to plague the living, but I never credited such. All of a sudden, Bailey comes in, and he's like, well, I just wanted to see if you need anything before I retired. And Ed Gray's like, no, that's all right. I'm going to go to bed, too. I've had quite enough excitement for one day, I think. So we get this panel of Ed Gray going to bed, and great work again by Madsen and Stenbeck. And he hears the dinging sound. And he sees Mothlomi in front of him, and Mothlomi's got his staff, the same one that we talked about earlier that was used in Devil You Know. He tells Ed Gray, be wary, Englishman, and be warned. Dangers untold lie hidden beneath the earth, but nothing stays buried forever. Though the goddess of dark may sometimes slumber, her children never rest, and shadows will spread as day draws into night. Ed Gray's like, who are you? What the devil are you doing in my home? You face tremendous odds and risk more than you know, but what is life without risk? Prepare yourself for what comes. You must marshal your strengths if you are to survive. And then Ed Gray wakes up. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. I like how they're building up this, uh, yeah. you know, that uh, that there was some sort of relationship with him and Mothlomir. He had had visions of him. The next day, Ed Gray visits some government offices to get his research on. He researches the graveyard, but doesn't find anything weird. But he does find that the land was deeded by George III himself. George III was the king of Great Britain and Ireland from October... 1760 until the union of the two kingdoms in january 1801 after which he was king of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland until his death in 1820 george's life and reign which were longer than those of any of his predecessors were marked by a series of military conflicts involving his kingdoms in the later part of his life george had recurrent and even permanent mental illness although it has been suggested that he had bipolar disorder or the blood d's perforia 
the cause of the illness remains unknown. And so a lot of times, there was even a movie called The Madness of King George or The Mad King yeah. George. They talk about that. So that's George III. Ed Gray tracks the ownership of the deed to the cemetery over the years, and he finds the current owner in London. He decides he should pay them a visit. So we see Ed Gray going over into London. I do want to talk about this stagecoach. On the back of the stagecoach, it says, Purest Taste Cocoa. That's how you spell like Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. No, yeah, yeah. no, not Coca-Cola. Yeah, like... No, that's what I'm saying. I think it's a knockoff of that. No, but it's it not also... a knockoff of Coca-Cola. It's cocoa. It's hot cocoa. That's like chocolate. It does kind of look like the font of Coca-Cola, though. Okay. It also says Mr. Swinton's. I couldn't find anything about Mr. Swinton's, but I, I do want to go there. I wonder what they have there at Mr. Swinton's. And I love the way Ed Gray is depicted here after not sleeping. You know, he's been having, he says, disquieting visions of ravens and serpents, of tolling bells and caverns beneath the earth. And just that look on his face, like when you haven't slept in a while or, you know, you're tired and you still have to do stuff. I just think they captured that really well in the coloring and the work there. And let's talk a little bit about these references, right? Because he says, visions of ravens and serpents. So we know serpents are, kind of reminds me of Hecate, tolling bells. You know, um, that's been a reoccurring thing in the stories and caverns beneath the earth. That's obviously reminds me of like Frankenstein underground and all that, hollow earth. And now strange African medicine men appear in my dreams as well. What inspired that fancy? Gray asks himself. And he goes to the home in London and he knocks on the door. When they show inside this house, we see this guy just sitting there in the dark, right? So that kind of reminded me of Kashi a little bit. Remember mm. how he was just like sitting there in the dark just for chilling, like just, just waiting, waiting yeah. you know? That kind of yeah. reminded me of this here too. So his servant comes in and he's like, oh, master, I beg forgiveness. And he's like, I told you I wasn't supposed to be disturbed. I informed the gentleman that you weren't taking visitors, but he, pardon the intrusion, Gray says, Mr. Friedhoff, but I am Sir Edward Gray, an agent of the crown on official business, and I will not be deterred. I love that. He's like, I'm coming in whether you're taking visitors or not. Yeah. It is my understanding <laughs> that you are the deed holder for the land upon which the Lamb Street Cemetery resides. Gray says there have been unusual occurrences around the cemetery grounds, and the caretakers are acting weird. They have disquieting allegiances, and now they've disappeared. And so he asks him if he's observed any strange behavior on their part or on the property. And the guy's immediately like, you may ask, but it does not necessarily follow that I must answer. And Gray's like, interesting. It's a simple question. Your evasion suggests that you know more about the business than you let on. Would it surprise you to learn that supernatural creatures lie buried in your cemetery? Or are you already too aware of that fact? And so I do want to point out, um, as Gray is walking through his house, there's some really weird imagery, right, in these paintings and stuff like that. There's like a dragon eating somebody. There's another one where someone's holding a dragon's mouth open. Looks like there's like a carving on the wall. So yeah, I was wondering if these were like references to real pieces of art. And Mr. Friedhoff, he's like, oh, now I recognize you. I know why your name is familiar. You're that Ed Gray guy. My English servants read the penny dreadful accounts of your activities. One could easily imagine that you were nothing more than a fiction for simpletons. And what is it the rabble calls you again? Witchfinder. 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 I say again, sir, that I'm an agent of the crown on official business. I will not be deterred. No, I don't imagine that you will, the man says at that. What a bore you are. 
And he's like, very well, answer your questions. My family has owned that land for the last century, and no, I don't know of any unusual occurrences. End of story. He pours himself something red out of this decanter and drinks it. Ed Gray says, how do you maintain that you know nothing about those buried there? Aside from the fact that they're dead, no, I have nothing to add, the guy says. Friedhoff. There are no ghosts or ghouls to be exercised here, Sir Edward. Only businessmen with important matters to which to attend. I trust you can find your own way out? And so Ed Gray's like, you bastard. I love that panel as he just like glares at him. There's like a lot of great panels with Ed Gray just glaring yes. at this whole series. <laughs> he does a good job with that. As the servant walks him out, Ed Gray's like, I rather think that this is not his decision to make. Inform your master that I will be slammed. They slam the door on him. And so Ed Gray turns around to look back at the house and he notices all the windows are draped, every one of them dark and silent, as a tomb within. All of a sudden, a horse carriage screeches up. How does that happen? Can a horse carriage screech up like that? <laughs> I do not know. Sure. Maybe the horses are screeching. Those are, uh, those well, are I mean, London screechers. Yeah. That's a breed of horse. Well, I was thinking it's more like the carriage is screeching as it's coming to a halt because they're actually they're t- they're stopping right, right in front of him. And these goons in gas masks get out and they put a bag over Ed Gray's head and pull him into the carriage. Jeez. And we get this panel of all black at the bottom. And then when they pull the thing off his head, he's like, where? Oh, of course. He's in the Heliopic Brotherhood's high now. This, you got some decals on their. We got big, some decals. Weird there. machines. They got a. They got a poster of Larzad here. And Larzad said, "Behold!" And light sprang forth. Let's talk about that. We've seen this poster before. It was in Chicago when they found when Howard's found the sword. Cool. When they come across that Heliopic Brotherhood hideout. So I wonder if this is like their. Uh, hey, we got a new hideout here. We need the, We need another poster. They brought the poster with them. <laughs> Maybe all of them have the poster. Okay. You know, it's like it's like their decor. They have to hang it up in every meeting house. There you go. Yeah, that's cool. Swain, a.k.a. Liam Neeson, says he's sorry for the Bruce nature of Gray's arrival, but he tried asking nicely, and Gray said no. And they couldn't take no for an answer. You no, know, that means no, though. That means no. But they couldn't take no for an answer. Me. This is Liam Neeson we're talking about. Oh, okay. He will, <laughs> he will probably kidnap the person. <laughs> Liam Neeson, the actor. <laughs> Liam Neeson, the actor, will, 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 like, will kidnap Ed Gray. <laughs> yes, he sure will. Um, Sw- <laughs> Swain explains the Brotherhood took the captain's notes, and they found a bunch of weird stuff, including where those bodies were buried. Although they provided them with a little useful information, in the final analysis, the work of the captain's long life amounted to little more than mild diversion. But that changed when the head of our order recently arrived from France. And so this woman comes up, and this is Tefnut Trionis, okay. Queen of Heliopolis, second reincarnation of Eugene Levy and the Grand Mistress of the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. You say right. Eugene Levy? I've got two left feet. I've got <laughs> two left feet. <laughs> I, I thought he was kidding. But I wasn't. I I was born uh, with two uh, left feet. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's a reincarnation of Eugene Levy? Wow, Eugene Levy hadn't even been born yet. Okay. Wow, that that's 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 her how eyebrows good he is. looking awful thin there. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> Reincarnation of Eugene Remy. That's what I meant to say. Um, I'm going to uh, just leave these uh, books here yes. for you to uh, peruse at your uh, at your uh, leisure. And so we met Tefnut Trionis in Frankenstein Underground. Remember, she was the she was the lady on the couch telling them about the whole history of the world while drinking a glass of wine or something. That. that was awesome. Gray says he isn't too impressed by psychics, but Trionis says she's seen Gray in her visions. 
Sir Edward at the shores of a river of darkness somewhere far underground. Acheron, Gray says, because he had the same vision in, in the service of angels. Trionis says, I have seen a black goddess rising from the dark waters of that river, come to reclaim her lost kingdom. I have seen a man leading an army of the dead in her name, laying waste to the living world. I came here because I saw that this is where the man would raise his army. Not only that, Swain says, but she was able to identify a portrait of the man on loan to the British Museum from a private collection in Stuttgart, Germany. And so this museum that he's talking about is probably the Staatsgalerie. It's rich collection of masterworks dating from the 14th century to the present. The Staatsgalerie Stuttgart is among Germany's most popular museums. Both its impressive museum complex and its holdings mirror the link between tradition and modernity. And they bring out the portrait. It's fucking, it's this guy. It's Jurescu. It's Jurescu. Yeah, Jurescu. from Wake the Devil, right? And Gray's like, I spoke to this guy earlier. I saw him. But why is he wearing this like Napoleonic costume? Some sort of fancy dress ball? And Triona says, Friedhof, that's what he said his name was, to Gray, is the German word for cemetery. He was known as Jurescu, Swain says, when that portrait was painted. And the captain's records include several key mentions of his activities in London. The earliest entry dates all the way back to 1773 when Mad King George made a deal with the devil. Go on. Gray's like, okay, (laughs) all right, you have my interest. He's like, all right, you can keep going. So we cut back to that temple that was found earlier in that first scene by Campbell and Hawkins. And we see this hooded figure walking amongst the pillars the plan is in motion, my queen. The time fast approaches when we will ring down the final curtain of the Age of Man. Fucking ring race over here. Your armies will deliver the <laughs> world back into chaos, and you shall reign supreme in eternal darkness. And he's talking to a snake. A snake. She's the, a snake. And the snake is like, soon. Nice. So what is that? Is that... She's he- a snake. Is that Hecate? I guess. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, you got Jurescu. We got a Hecate. And so that's Jurescu in the, in the cloak. Is that what you, I, I didn't read ahead, so I don't. I've never read this one, so I don't know. So beautiful, I have, I have so not lovingly read rendered. The snake is so yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, really nice. I really love the way that that he drew this snake. What kind of snake is this? It's got little uh, ridges around the eyes there. Oh yeah, I don't know. A little flat nose. I should have looked for that. Little... Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. I really like um, being. There's something about Ed Gray that I really like. Yeah. I love these Ed Gray stories, and I love how it's good stuff. at this point, he's so blasé yeah. about all the supernatural stuff happening. You just chop off the top of he's somebody's like, head know. and just throw the I'm the basically sun. Keanu Reeves, <laughs> but in the 1880s in London. Yeah, so I actually, I actually don't know what happens with this, but I do like how they're drawing on all these different things. we got the relationship with Ed Gray and Mothlomi. We've got... References to Wake the Devil with Jurescu and Hecate, you know, and we've got the cast of characters that we know are existing yeah. in this time from In the Service of Angels and from Frankenstein Underground, and they're pulling all these things together, and you're like, I know who all these people are, you know? Yeah, it's good stuff. The the, the Lewis and Manly, the two yeah. other little doctors that are always scared and stuff like that. And Christian I just... Bell's like, oh, you guys. <laughs> you guys are so Just goofy. impale him. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, no, this was fun. I mean, it was cool because, I mean, like, seeing Muff Blomie's Bell at the start, I was like, ooh. And then, yeah. like, at first I was thinking, you know, zombies, but then, like, when they got to the cemetery, I started thinking about vampires because I know that we have a lot of them buried. And then all of a sudden, Jurescu was just like, that guy, 
he ain't gonna be around forever. <laughs> uh, He's gonna end up getting bopped on the head with by Hellboy. It explode. <laughs> explode, yeah. Um, but yeah, like the the two bumbling guys and the cemetery with uh, Ed Gray. I mean, it, yeah, the whole thing was it was great. And then all of Ed Gray's just kind of like salty looks. He's just like he is <laughs> yeah. fucking. He is annoyed at everything. He's like, I'm gonna miss my dinner. Annoyed. Somebody wakes me up in the middle of the night. Annoyed. I do this guy really, is not yeah. answering his questions. Annoyed. I love that. I do really appreciate uh. the uh, the salty expressions that this artist manages to conjure up. It's good stuff. <laughs> awesome. I'm excited to hear your feedback. Keep sending in those intros. And tag us on social media. I like when people share us, share the podcast, retweet us. Uh, put us in your Instagram stories. I like when people send in recordings of themselves to say stuff. Yeah, That's send, what in, I like. send in those yeah. intros. Send us in some questions or some video clips or whatever. If you didn't get to be on the debriefing episode and you have something you want to say about Devil You Know, send us a little clip of it. I'll put it into the episode. We'll chuck it in yeah. there. We'll chuck it in there. Yeah. So anyway, I'm glad I'm excited to hear everyone's feedback on Witchfinder. And now Aubrey's gonna say all the things. Aubrey's gonna say all the things. All right, everybody. Witchfinder, City of the Dead is so good. I want to hear what you think. Uh, you can send us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Podbean website, our Facebook About section, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. I want to give a, uh, a special thanks to the Side Street Steppers for their listener feedback intro. And then also Andrew Adair for the Witchfinder theme. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, and always a special thank you to Mark Treadell for helping with the reading order, John for being an awesome editing John wizard. I don't even know what that means. Thank you to Danielle for all your wonderful comments I and everything. I didn't do anything. I know. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> you can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are continuing with Witchfinder. City of the Dead, issues three through five. So you know what to do. Stab a vampire in the back. In the back. You know, but keep your cool. And, uh, They'll be so next mad. Week. They'll pull it out and be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. And then join us next week on the Hellboy Book Cup Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Love saying, Witch that's Finder. enough of that. That is yeah. enough of that. <laughs> Witchfinder. Witchfinder. Witchfinder.